सलाम नमस्ते सच्चाकाल रेडियो जिंदगी सुन रहे हैं आप सात बजकर तीन मिनट नया साल आ चुका है हैप्पी 2020 यू गाइस आप सबको नया साल बहुत 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 मुबारक हो अगर आपको आवाज से नहीं पता चला तो आपको बता दें आप सुन रहे हैं आज स्वाति को ऑन कैंडिड कॉन्वर्सेशन विद रेनू डिलन दिस शो इज ब्रॉट यू बाई जीनियस किड्स विच इज गॉट ओवर थर्टी सेवन सेंटर्स इन बेरिया सैक्रोमेंटो एंड ट्रेसी दिस शो इज ब्रॉट यू बाई जीनियस किड्स एंड द जीनियस बिहाइंड जीनियस किड्स विच इज द सीओ एंड फाउंडर ऑफ जीनियस kids joins me here in the studio not just in the studio she's also live with me on facebook so if you are you know on your computers don't forget to check us out what we look like behind the <laughs> who's sitting behind the mic let's say renu hello and welcome happy new year happy tuesday happy new year happy tuesday to you rj swati how is it going good good yeah it's going good. is your is your mic on um i think your mic is on isn't it uh, oh Is Now it's on. Ah, yes. All right. So happy New Year one more time. Happy New Year. Happy Tuesday. Happy everything, RJ Swati. Yeah. So all of us know you are going through a you know rough patch. You've yeah. you know lost someone dear. Uh, so very sorry for your loss. No, thank Hope you. Hope you're doing well. Yes. Yes. Thank you. All right. Yep. And I want to thank everyone that's been there for myself and the girls. Um, we actually lost the girl's dad a few weeks ago on Christmas Eve, and um, it has been a very tough journey. But you know. may he rest in peace so right so, yeah and you are uh, symbolic to strength in beauty i can tell you that you look lovely today and oh. there is this inner strength which showing and it suits you oh thank you thank you i actually called seba saying you know what i'm not feeling too good i think i'll go home and do the show and then she started telling me all these things we'd have to do and i'm like no i'm going to i'm not going to give rj swati such a hard time thank you you might as well just show up All right. So this year we we started last year. This is our anniversary yeah. show, anniversary in fact. Anniversary show, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So this journey has been fantastic. Today also we have a very special guest, and uh, we are talking about something which is very close to your heart, which is children, children uh, and education. Yeah. Children and education, yeah. your area of expertise. So why don't you tell us who do we have with us, and what are sure. we going to talk about? So the reason I picked this topic, we're going to talk about uh, why Asian children out to pace their American counterparts, and. I mean is it something we really should be proud of you know that's what I want to talk about because right. what do people do over new years is we have all had these resolutions and what is the famous resolution in the indian household i can speak for the indian household it's make sure you bring straight a's home okay <laughs> i don't want those b's those c's or those d's straight a's so we make resolutions for our kids yeah we um, make of course of course we run their lives right <laughs> we tell them exactly how they have to live this is very sure. common right sure. so i thought it'd be great to speak to somebody who's an expert on this and our guest is actually Peru Clavel she is an author speaker and parent who specializes in comparative international education she has a book called world class chronicles her decade long journey raising her three children in the public schools of hong kong shanghai tokyo and palo alto california She shared her insights on education and globalization on Farid Zakaria's uh, GPS, the Today Show, CBS This Morning, CNBC's Squawk Box, Channel News Asia, and has written columns and been cited in the Times of London, the Chicago Tribune, the Japan Times, Financial Times, Washington Post. The list is endless. <laughs> Teru earned degrees in global and international education as well as Asian studies and was an educational journalist and college consultant while living in Asia. She has now returned with the family to her hometown in New York since 2018. So on that note, very welcome to you. A warm welcome Teru and happy new year. You too and thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for finding the time. I know it's probably very late in New York. It's probably 10:00. 
right? Oh, wow. <laughs> it is, it is. But my, my children are happily uh, asleep, so this is my... my Actually, that would have been my bedtime, too. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much. So I'm going to begin by first congratulating you on your success. And um, we're always interested to know about people's views on education. So my first question to you is... Um, why do you feel that students in China and Japan far outpace their American counterparts? What is it that um, the Chinese and Japanese, and I know Indians as well, Indian kids do, what is it that these guys do that uh, the American counterparts don't do? Well, the first thing that really strikes me is at a very young age, I felt like discipline was instilled in these kids overseas. So my now 15-year-old who was in high school was just telling me, you know, when I was, my, my daughter is now in fourth grade here in a U.S. school, and, and he said, when I was much younger than you, I had homework every day. And it's true. When he was in preschool at three years old in Hong Kong, he had homework every single day, whether it be copying characters or numbers. Um, and, you know, it just continued through from Hong Kong to Shanghai to Tokyo. And in the U.S., I feel like we are, and, and, I, and I understand it, but, you know, this is, this is the answer to your question. Why are these kids overseas more advanced? And, and in the U.S., we have this thing where our kids, they should, be, they should be having fun and they should be, you know, doing project-based learning and rote learning or direct instruction is a bad thing and they shouldn't have to sit still. Whereas in Asia, these things are indoctrinated really into these young kids at such a young age that that discipline really carries them through. And, you know, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the PISA exam that comes out every three years that's administered by the OECD, and it just came out last month. Um, it's every three years, and it tests 15-year-olds across 79 different economies and countries, and it tests in math, science, and reading. And our Chinese counterparts are literally almost four years ahead in mathematics. You know, so we're, we're talking 15-year-olds who are doing, you know, college-level math um, and if, when it comes, you know, compared to our, to our U.S. students. So I would say it's this high level of expectation that is met. And, you know, there's a whole scaffolding and support system that allows these kids to reach such high, high levels. Absolutely. I mean, I'm all for the discipline, and I will tell you, you know, with the um, we I believe in early learning as well. That's what we do at Juniors Kids. We definitely start early learning. So when you're talking about, you know, homework for three-year-olds, we have homework for three-year-olds, and but ours is, you know, the phonics, the reading. We're huge on that. But uh, when I when it comes to um, the pressure, I'm curious to know. Do you think that I mean, yes, it's great to start them early and you know teach them disciplining and the fact that yes, you have to sit at the table and study and and play time is playtime and learning time is learning time but do you don't you think that at the same time maybe uh, as Asians we tend to put a lot of undue pressure on our children setting very high standards for them sometimes and unrealistic expectations because not every child wants to be or can be brilliant what are your thoughts oh, sure. on that? I mean, I mean, this is something it's, it's the age old kind of you know and I grew up I'm half Japanese and I grew up in a very kind of Asian, typical Asian standard household, and, and, you know, me and my all my Asian American friends, I feel like, seem to make, make jokes about, you know, B is never enough, A is never enough, there's always someone smarter than you, and, you know, it's like all this stuff that you hear, and there has to be a balance, um, but I do feel like in the U.S., we've gone too far the other direction, and I was actually just talking to a child a psychologist today who said, you know, in this country, it's 
so interesting because this is a very capitalistic, individualistic country, right? And competition is everywhere. It's survival of the fittest for the most part. And yet in the schools, there's kind of this anti-competition movement where their participation trophies, I mean, one summer, because we used to come back in the summers, my son came home from a chess tournament. And, you know, every parent wants to think their kid is a genius, but I will fully admit he wasn't a very uh, gifted chess player. And he came home with this trophy that was half his size, you know, and he was, I think, seven or eight years old. And everybody assumed he, you know, when he came home that he won. And the truth was he came in fourth place, and there were only four participants in his division, you know. And, and that's kind of this thing that we do in this country where – we, we, we over, we, we, we don't accentuate, I think, enough the result, and we're so much about, and this, you know, and this is controversial what I'm saying, I admit this, where it's so much just about the effort, it's okay as long as you, you work really hard, but the reality is, you know, we do have to memorize our arithmetic, our multiplication, and it's not good enough just to say you tried really hard. Um, and, you know, and this is another thing that I, that I kind of want to dispel this myth, the PISA exam doesn't just, the one that I just mentioned, doesn't just test for academics, but it tests for mindset and grid and discipline, parents' involvement, the use of technology. And something that they found is that actually U.S. kids suffer kind of the most anxiety and the most kind of competition versus collaboration. And the actual time spent studying in the classroom in the U.S. is actually higher than some of our East Asian counterparts because the quality of instruction is greater. Mm-hmm. So their educational outcomes are higher for less time spent studying. Right. <clears throat> Just to add to that, right, how much pressure is enough pressure? Because it's very easy for a parent or, you know, your guardian to go overboard with that. And I think that's what the, uh, I'm going to go step one step ahead and say the Indian community probably is, you know, most, uh, you know, is a culprit of, you know, we don't know when we overstep that boundary, mm-hmm. when we over parent. So, and, you know, in general, what's your uh, take on that? I think that's a great question, and I, when I talk to audiences, parent audiences, and I run workshops on this, I'd say it's a very case-by-case situation. It's all about your household values because, you know, in the U.S., especially if you're raising kids here, there's so much value placed on, for example, sports, right? right? And, and I'm going to make a stereotype here, which is a lot of Asian communities and cultures emphasize violin, piano, music, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, those require a lot of discipline. Not that sports doesn't. Sports definitely does as well. Um, but where are you putting that pressure? And how much pressure are you putting on those, on your children? So it's a matter of what you, you have to define as a family. What are your expectations? And how are you measuring those expectations? The typical Asian family may say it's an A, right? But then you have to assess, well, what is an A? Because when you break it down in a lot of U.S. classrooms, an A can also mean, you know, 80% participation, 20% understanding and application of content. Or it could mean no application of content and 100% just memorization. So it's really up to the parents, I feel like, to pull apart what the grade represents, if you care about the grades, what your grade expectations are, and then figuring out how you're, how you're supporting that learning at home. I mean, there, there have been studies done and studies um, being done right now on how much time do parents in Asian households in the U.S. talk to their kids about their education and schooling versus non-Asian homes? And it's really interesting because 
there, there was a recent study that came out saying that a lot of the Asian families will actually be talking about, okay, so we're driving and how fast are we going and, you know, what's the temperature outside and if it's Celsius or Fahrenheit and how many feet and meters. And they actually talk about the academics a lot more than the typical, I would say, and I hate to make stereotypes, but, you know, American family. So I think it is really case by case. But then don't you think, Teru, that sometimes when we um, focus so much on just the education and just the learning and the discipline that we tend to forget that personality is very important for children, it's so important. I mean, if you think about it, once we complete our degrees, it's not like we walk around with our degrees in our hands saying, hey, I'm from, you know, an Ivy League. And at the end of the day, it's that personality that comes in, takes over the company, leads the team. Uh, it's not always the academics that does it. What's your thought on that? That's, that's another great point. I mean, and that's the pushback, right? So there's no question that we are trying to raise um, empathetic, mindful, contributing uh, citizens for our country. And that's why a lot of the argument is made. That's why, well, you know, so many Chinese nationals are trying to bring their kids to the U.S. to be educated because that pressure cooker system was too much. Um, and that's basically the grounding of our liberal arts education at the university level because in a lot of foreign countries, right, you have to decide if you want to be uh, a scientist, a doctor, or a lawyer when you're in middle school, if not right. sooner, because then your track is determined. Whereas in the U.S., you don't have to decide that stuff until basically you're a sophomore, junior, in college. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say something that I talk about in World Class, which I think is a great counterpoint, and, and I want to dispel this myth as well, is that in Japan, there's such an emphasis on the community over the needs of the individual. So, you know, starting in first grade, which is when compulsory education begins, kids are given chores in the classroom. And I love no that idea. And no workers in the yeah. schools or no yeah. janitors. So Absolutely. immediately the kids, you know, they have rags or on the floor cleaning after school or during the school day, but at the end of the school day. Um, they're cleaning the toilets. They're cleaning the blackboards. They're serving each other lunch and cleaning up after one another. So that you know, that kind of community orientation is baked into the curriculum at such a young age. And I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this, but um, in first grade or starting in first grade, Japanese school children are literally expected to get to and from school and to their extracurricular activities on their own. And that could be, you know, it could be a one-block walk or it can be a one-hour commute one way that includes buses and trains and walking. And why that works is because of this community prioritization that starts in first grade. Mm. So, you know, it's, it, there's different ways of looking at it, but I, I want to bring this to people's attention because when it's not, you know, it's something that I find in the U.S. classroom is we're talking so much about, you know, teaching kids to be mindful and empathetic um, and making that a part of the curriculum. But it's like this intentional, okay, we have to have a class on this. It's right. almost like a morals or an ethics class. Whereas in places like Japan, in a lot of countries, it's already naturally baked into the curriculum. Absolutely. Right. No, I, have, I read about that, and I think that's a great idea because it's so important both uh, boys and girls and grow up to be men and women learn household chores. I think that's just so important because I think we're guilty of this in our Indian household is we focus so much on learning and then still we tell the lady, the women, um, at the end of the day you're going to cook and clean and the men get away with um, your wife's going to do it. <laughs> yeah, and it's a life skill. It is, yeah. right? It is, yeah. yeah. It, so it, talking yeah. about activities, Teru, these days there is also overload of 
activities. You know, just acad- back in the days, yeah. academics was the only focus and do well and become a doctor and engineer. That's where we uh, pretty much limited ourselves. But now it's about activities and that also everyone needs to be, you know, really on the top. How much of this pressure is, uh, you know, justified and how do we strike a balance there? You know, uh, you gave very good examples in your previous answer. Uh, what is it that we're doing incorrectly and what is the corrective measure because yes we shouldn't go you know the other side of the spectrum where it should be too little but uh, how much is too much well i think you nailed it right i think in the u.s this is definitely the problem because in in my book world class i talk about the u.s system being this great swiss cheese the american version of swiss cheese because there are all these holes they're constantly reinventing the wheel in the classroom with a new curriculum, and then mm-hmm. the teachers are trying to teach the new curriculum, and there may not be a continuity between the different grades, and teachers are constantly shuffling through the schools, and so who's left to, to plug in those holes? It's whomever's around, the, the caregiver, the parent, um, a tutor, the principal, a babysitter, a, a relative, whomever it is. And so what ends up happening is you do have these overscheduled kids, whether it be through tutoring or five days a week of club sports. And what's important to, to talk about there as well is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of this drive is, is, is from the top, meaning from college, right? Because what we have here in this country is not a purely meritocratic system, whereas in a lot of other countries you have, for better or for worse, a one, a one, shot deal at a high-stakes exam that's going to determine what university you can get into, if you were even qualified to attend a university. And here, you know, it could be sports that get you in, it could be legacy, it could be a, a connection of some sort, and it could be a contribution, a financial contribution. And until we have more clarity on that process, a lot of parents are thinking, okay, the, you know, my, my child's ticket to getting into university is by being a master fencer, mm-hmm. right, or, or a chess prodigy, right. um, or winning the Intel Science Prize. So it's created this mania amongst parents that they just have to be, you know, finding that kid, what is it, that, that one passion that they're going to be so, so good at. And study after study has shown that it's those balanced kids that are going to be prepared for the jobs of the future because we don't know what those jobs are going to be, so that requires them to be very flexible and adaptable and to have multiple skills, not just be computer coders, for example. Um, So, I mean, it, it, it is a problem that we have, and I think it's really up to, if I was to give one solution to your listeners, I would say watch your kids. Expose them to everything. Get books on everything out there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when we were growing up, we had the Encyclopedia Britannica, A through Z. <laughs> you pulled it out, and you could find whatever information you wanted. Now there's so much content out there. But watch what it is that your kids are interested in, whether it be geography and weather or sports statistics and math, um, sci-fi. You know, there, there's so many different interests. And if your child isn't drawn to one thing, that's fine, that's great. Continue to expose them to different things. But if they show proclivity towards one thing, like if your child suddenly says, I want to join the swim team, see what options you have for that. Because that, you know, swim being joining the swim team in this country typically means at one point you're going to be waking up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning mm-hmm. and they're going to have pre-started school swim practice and then post-school uh, swim practice and then meet on the weekend. So you have to figure out what your child's interests are, cultivate them and motivate them, and you have to figure out when is enough enough because there comes a point when the coach will say, okay, it's not going to be once a week anymore. You have to come right. here three to five times a week, right, because these are money-making businesses as well. 
Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so good point. It, it, it's an no easy answer, I, I yeah. guess, is, is the point. But I, it, again, it's case by case. And um, and don't push your kids into things that they may not want to do or may they not be good at. And do listen it. to them. Watch them. Yeah. So in closing, Teru, let me ask you, if, if they could be, I mean, I know there's no perfect uh, recipe for being the best parent. Everybody tries their best. Nobody wants to be a bad parent. But if you could yeah. give three tips to parents today just to raise their kids uh, so they could be successful but without causing the un- unnecessary stress, what would that be? Uh, what are your three tips to all our listeners today who are parents who want to become parents? I would say the three things we've touched on these. Have your definition of what an education is very clearly defined in your family and discuss it if it's a value. What, what is it? Is it friendships? Is it academics? Is it extracurriculars? And be very, very clear about that and discuss it with your kids every day. Right? In the U.S., we have, so, we have such diversity that within the home you have parents or grandparents or other caregivers. You have dual income learning families. You have parents at overnight shifts. You have ELL learners, uh, you know, first-gen immigrant uh, children. And so as a family, whatever time you have, one of the first things that you talk about, whether it be at your, you know, if you only have five minutes with your child every day, talk about it. What is an education? What did you learn? How get, you know, check their pulse every day on school and just make it, you know, it, it seems like it's such common sense, but a lot of people don't do it. It's really surprising. Right. Um, and, and the second thing I would say is you have to be aware of your community and that's a research, and that's something that I learned very much um, in in Japan because you have, and I'm not just talking about the library and the theater um, and your outside community resources, which are vital, but I'm talking about the actual influencers in your child's life who can support your child's growth, development, learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be, you know, it could be the janitor at your child's school, right? It's the librarian. It could be the teacher's assistant. It could be the right. paraprofessional who's not even assigned to your child. And just knowing who those influencers are is really, really important. Um, and the last thing I would say is because the U.S. is very capitalistic, I would say it's really important to understand the influences that are coming into the classroom. So, you know, I don't think this conversation would be complete without talking about technology in the classroom because where I was in China and Japan, there's virtually no technology in the classroom, yet they have the highest math and science scores, and the Chinese are coming to this country and getting PhDs and master's uh, degrees in our, you know, STEM field, right? But they don't have technology in the classroom growing up. Right. So what I'm talking about here in terms of education governance is why is there so much technology in your child's classroom? How is the outcome being measured? Is it a tool or is it replacing the, the uh, teacher-student relationship somehow? So it should be very, very intentional. And look at, you know, why is the curriculum changing? Who is behind that change? And how is it going to be assessed? So those are the three things. I would say talk about the education and what your expectations are on a daily basis. Figure out your community and understand the education, uh, the, the governance that's taking place in the classroom. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on this call. And you've really, you know, I, I've loved some of the ideas that you've shared, especially I wish I could start them doing the cleaning in the school because I'm huge on that. I always want kids to clean up and I want them to tidy up and not just simply tidy up, but wipe down the tables, you know. Yeah, teach them, oh, sure. you know. Yeah, but I think a lot of parents 
perceive that as well. You're making my child. You're using my child as child labor. It's your child's yeah. space. So yeah. it's only yeah. you know, responsible behavior. Yeah. Responsible behavior. Just yeah. simply like learning how to clean up yourself after a bathroom. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you so much, Teru. This has been wonderful. And I wish you the best of luck in your future books and all the other shows that you're going to be on. And thank you for finding the time to speak with Candid Conversations with Renu Dillon. I, I love the time with you, so thank you so very much. Thank, thank you. you, Teru. That was Teru, and we were talking about kids, education, and everything yes. that's around it. So I'm so glad or not that, you know, such conversations are happening, but it's so hard being a parent these days. Yeah, it's not easy to be a parent at all. And, you know, a lot of, and I think there's no balance because you look around you and sometimes you have friends who are doing all these things and then you wonder, am I being a good parent because my kid only goes to one class, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. But then actually one very good point she brought up is, you know, we think about swimming, for example. Kids want to swim, but then they don't realize the commitment it's going to take yeah. and the financial part of it as well in terms of going four or five times. I know kids who swim and go early in the morning, again, after school, then it impacts your work as well. True. And oh. the lifestyle. Of, my brother sacrificed years and years to get his kids into soccer. They're professional soccer players, but he's missed out on so many activities, you know, because of that, you know. Yeah, no, it requires yeah. commitment from ki- yeah. the kid and the parent and the alike. Parent, yeah. But what I, what I find missing is, you know, we don't lead by examples as parents, right? Only the kid has to learn to swim. Yeah. Lord of Daisy parents don't know how to swim. <laughs> like, if you don't lead an active lifestyle, if you don't do activities, hobbies for yourself, but suddenly the kid has to right. do all of that. If you don't do time management, how are we expecting the kids to do? I think that's... And I, and I think also being realistic. Yeah. We have to know who our child is, right? Every child exactly. is different. You can have two kids in the house that are not even similar yeah. siblings, right? So I deal with this unrealistic expectations every single day. We'll get parents who come, their kids are two and a half years old, and they say, I want them in pre-K. And I'm like, do you understand the concept <laughs> of pre-K? Pre-K is one year before you go to kindergarten. No, 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 but he knows his multiplication. Two and a half years old, but he can't read, he can't speak, but he knows multiplication like a parrot. So wow. I meant to say, wow. It's a song a- after all, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> so now, I knew my multiplication too, but it didn't make any sense to me, but I learned it from music, right? right. From songs. Yeah. So I really think the parents need to take a seat back, like she said, and I love the point about having conversations with your children. What's your definition of education? What are the goals in your house? It may be different from what your yeah. Masi's goals are, right? Totally, totally. Yeah. Masi, friend, everyone. Yeah, and then uh, I, I totally agree that, you know, each child is different and not just at that, you know, chota wala age. Yeah. There is this child who doesn't want to do soccer. Yeah. Just because th- 10 other people are doing right. doesn't mean right. that you'll do yeah. it. Though it's convenient. Yeah. All right. So that was a very good conversation as always. Ugly war also, we have something very interesting, which is the domestic violence topic. Yes. Again, something that we... Yes, I'm bringing that back. I'm going to have Sonia uh, from uh, Maitri come here next week and touch on that because I think that's a very important topic. Oh, yeah. And I definitely, after what we've just recently gone through, um, is definitely want to address depression because people get affected. You know, a lot of times, you know, we mentioned when we had Bindu at our show, you know, you don't even realize that your own friends may be having situations at home because we don't really listen to what they're saying. Right. You know, we just think they look happy, but just because someone looks happy doesn't mean that they are happy. Yeah. So I think we really need to, as a community, uh, you know, sure. help one another. And uh, one of my friends has reached out to me to start a, uh, a grieving group, actually. People grieve for so many reasons. And right now, there's really nothing in our community for that. Hmm. She goes to a Christian group. And at the end of the day, it would be nice is as a community, we have that whether you're grieving for a divorce, a death, uh, whatever, a separation. It doesn't sure. matter what, a loss of a child, whatever it is. I think it's important to have a support group. So we're going to be launching that as well this yeah. year. So many flavors of the same yes. 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 that we've had. Yeah. Thank you so much, no, Renu, for you. being with us. Thank you, listeners, for listening to Candid Conversations with Renu Dillon. I-